Hello, my friends, and happy Monday. Did you hear that we're coming up on the second birthday of 3 and 30? I can't believe it. It has been incredible to see the podcast grow and reach mothers all over the country and even the world. I'm super grateful to live in a time when technology does such a good job of connecting all of us. And speaking of technology, many of you have been asking for an online version of my Declutter Your Motherhood workshop so you can attend wherever you are. And I'm thrilled to announce that it's finally happening. I'll be hosting two online live workshops in October for 3 and 30 listeners who can't make it to an in-person event. It's going to be fantastic. It won't be pre-recorded. I will be there teaching you online the day via a program called Zoom, and you'll have the opportunity to ask me questions and interact with the other moms there. I'm also going to mail you a workbook the week before the event so you get the full workshop experience. I wish that I could hug each and every one of you in person, but since that's not possible, this is the next best thing, and I know it's going to be so great. So join us online on either Saturday, October 19th from 3 to 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time or Wednesday, October 23rd from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. And I know you're probably not going to remember all those dates, so just go to my workshops page on my website to see if you can come. And if you do want that in-person hug, don't forget that last week on the episode, I announced my final in-person workshops for 2019. Two workshops in Utah, both on Saturday, October 12th, which is the actual second birthday of 3 and 30, and we are going to celebrate. Uh, Because this workshop is also the podcast birthday, I've invited all of the former 3 and 30 guests to be there, and many of them are coming. It's going to be a -a one-of-a-kind event, and this is the last week for the early bird ticket prices. So go to 3in30podcast.com forward slash workshops to find information about that live event as well as the online event. That's 3in30podcast.com forward slash workshops. And now on to the show. This episode is super unique. I hope it makes you laugh at times and also gives you a few ideas for how to pursue your hobbies and passions, even in the busiest stages of parenting. This is episode 98, How to Hold Space for Your Creativity as a Parent. Welcome to 3 and 30, a podcast for moms who want to create more meaning in motherhood. Each 30-minute episode will feature three doable takeaways for you to try at home with your family this week. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. Thank you so much for being here. As parents, it's difficult to carve out time to pursue our creative dreams and passions. Between carpool and work and soccer practice and dinner time and laundry and grocery shopping and bedtime and cleaning up another potty accident from the three-year-old, it just doesn't seem to be a high priority. But for so many of us, our creative interests and hobbies are what really fuel us and make us feel most like ourselves. And I'm not just talking about creativity in an artistic sense. You don't have to be a writer or an artist to crave space to develop yourself and use the God-given ambitions that are in you. Any drive that you have to learn or create something new, whether that's a meal or a spreadsheet, is creative work. It's okay as parents to make time for our own creativity. In fact, it's more than okay. It's vital for our happiness and sense of well-being. But in light of that huge list of typical parenting tasks that I rattled off at the beginning of the episode, 
how, how do we hold space for pursuing our passions in the midst of the craziness of parenting? It's messy, but it's possible. And today's guests are going to share some of their best ideas. Elizabeth Berglund is a stay-at-home mother and an artist, and Ben Brashares is a stay-at-home father and an author. They both have young families that they are the primary caregivers for, but despite their busy schedules, they continuously chip away at working within their creative fields. They recently published the adorable and beautiful children's book, Being Edie is Hard Today, published by Little Brown, and I'm so excited to hear from them today how they made that possible in the phase of life that they're in and how they hold space for their creativity amidst the mayhem of parenting. So Elizabeth and Ben, welcome to 3 and 30. Thank you. Hello. Thank you. Thank you for having us. And I just realized as I was saying that, I'm, did I, is it, it is Edie, right? Yes. That how you pronounce your name? Okay, yes. good. I'm like, <laughs> I hope I got that right. Um, and I have to tell everyone that Elizabeth, who will always be Lizzie to me, is my childhood best friend. And so it's been so fun to, to see her. I, I claim that I was the first to see your artistic talents. <laughs> In the, in the notes that we passed back and forth in seventh grade, and I still have some of them, and you filled them with drawings of all sorts of things, even as a middle schooler. So that's pretty fun for me to see how far you've come. <laughs> and for me, too. I mean, I then I think get to claim that I was the first to see the fruits of your writing, all your like... Oh, that's true. <laughs> Hilarious stories and endless journaling. Yes, that is true. And I'm like, I, I'm going to have to show some things on my Instagram this week. Of I, I do still have the notes. Oh, no. And we were in seventh grade. We thought we had sworn off boys. And so we thought we were going to be nuns, but we were going to be sexy nuns. <laughs> Which is so disturbing. And you would draw pictures of sexy nuns in our notes and we'd pass them back and forth. So, anyway, we have a long I think history. I'm on the here. wrong podcast here. <laughs> Weird. Oh, man. Hi, Ben. Oh, yes. Hi. hi, Ben. We are so glad to have you, uh, too. So, um, Lizzie's the illustrator and Ben is the author of this children's book. And you guys also pursue your art independently um, and do your own work, but then you've come together for this project. And the children's book is so beautiful, so touching about a little girl kind of grappling with her big emotions through the day and understanding them. Um, and so I would love for the listeners to go and check out your new book. And I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that at the end. But I love this concept that you proposed for the episode about holding space for our creativity as parents, which is not easy. And I would love for you to start in and tell us our three takeaways. So for the first takeaway, I, th I think it's, I'd like to start talking about just the management of your expectation, which for me and pretty much everything in life is probably 95% of the challenge for holding space for my art personally. And I think anyone who's pursuing creativity um, when my first daughter was born, I had been working as a designer in bridal and I actually, I got pregnant and I was like stoked because I thought, yay, like now I'll get to like really pursue, I'll stay home with her and I'll get to paint when she's napping. It's going to be amazing. 
oh my gosh, how delusional was I? Like when she was born, I mean, I had even set up the nursery as my studio. I like put this little crib in this little tiny corner and then the rest of it, I had built this wall up and it was my studio. I had my easel up, my drawing table. And then of course she was born and like a successful day for me was simply getting my teeth brushed and not sobbing all day. So that was like definitely not what I thought. So I really had to lower my expectations in order to enjoy my child. Mm. Um, so there really was no work getting done in those early baby years. I have three and they were all, you know, born fairly close together. Um, but, you know, it did force me to search for new mediums that were a bit more portable and didn't require that fixed studio space. Um, where the kids could destroy things. So when my second was born, um, I had actually bought an old eight millimeter camera and started experimenting with film because drawing and painting just wasn't going to work for me. I didn't have the space for it. It was too much for the little babies and toddlers to destroy. Um, so I could just haul this little camera around with them and it felt like something that they could be a part of for me. Um, so I was started documenting and then I would found a place that would transfer the film to uh, a digital medium and then I could edit late at night after they had gone to bed. And that was really fun for me because it brought in music and film. And so there's this like visual creativity. Yeah. And I love there that you talked about how you adjusted the medium of your art and, and you are a traditional artist to like people think of creative work as art and that is you. But like I said in the introduction, this could be also any any passion that you have to create anything. Um, and sometimes you have to adjust the medium or the way that you're doing it when you have young children, but still believe that it's possible for you to use that outlet and that gift and that passion that you have. Totally. And also just acknowledge things in terms of seasons. Mm. Like that, you know, I'm like, I knew eventually I, I wanted to be a painter mm. and I wanted to be an illustrator. This is like, that was my dream. And it's just, you know, I just had to tell myself just not now mm. that'll come later. And, and that really helped just acknowledging it in terms of like, this is a season and those seasons can last five years. They can last 10 years and that's okay. Mm. Some people aren't really able to jump fully into it at the caliber or level they're wanting to until later on in life. And that's fine. And that didn't happen for me till all my kids started school. They're age 10 or sorry, 12, 10 and eight now. So mm. they're all in school during the day. I get to work, you know, while they're at school and then get to be with them in the afternoon and then sneak in some more hours late at night. Yeah. So it really does change and you can adjust your expectations based on the season and believe that even if the season of life that you're in at this moment may not be the ideal for pursuing your passion, that that time will come for you eventually. Yeah. And also the reality is that the time is never ideal. It's, mm. I, you know, it's my, one of my favorite quotes from E.B. White. He says, a writer, he's for me, in this case, an artist, a writer who waits for ideal conditions under which to work will die without putting a word on paper. And that's true. I say that about anything. Like, it's never the right time to have kids. It's never the right time to move. It's never the right time really for anything. So you just have to decide that uh, 
this is important to you. This is what you want to do. And you might be painting or drying on the floor in the corner for a little while, you know? Yeah. At late at night after kids are in bed. And I do remember during that season of your life, you would tell me like, sometimes I paint till three in the morning, which people might say is an irresponsible decision because then I'm really tired the next day when my kids wake up early, but it fuels me so much that it's worth it to me to stay up late to get that time in, even if I'm a little bit tired the next day. During that season, that's what you had to do. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And Ben, what was you, what's been your experience? Because you have been the primary caregiver for your kids, even when they were little young babies and children. So how did you fit in your writing at that time? Or did you? Tell us about your experience. Yeah. So I, um, I actually was in grad school for uh, writing, getting an MFA um, in creative writing. And um, we had our first child while I was in my last year there. But as soon as, you know, that ended, it was really like, okay, what, what am I going to do? Am I going to be, am I just going to be the dad at home with the kids? Is that, is that just, you know, all it is? And, or am I going to try and pursue this writing stuff um, and at what level, at what, you know, how, how hard am I going to pursue it? How, at what, you know, how am I going to, uh, what am I going to give up in order to pursue it? Mm-hmm. And um, for me, it was just, it was a long series of sort of trial and error of trying to figure out how I could do both while keeping, you know, in terms of this expectations uh, topic, this sort of expectation that I would be a good dad and that I would give my son, George, um, my first son, um, the time and energy that I wanted to give him. But it's just been a matter of keeping expectations low enough in terms of my production of my work so that I don't drive myself crazy and feel worthless and, you know, and feel like at the end of the day, I didn't get anything done. Uh, when in fact I got a little, like a lot of quality time with my kids or, or maybe not even quality time. Maybe it was just a yell at, yelling at them and stuff, but it was, <laughs> you know, it was being a dad, it was being a parent at home and being with them, which was really important to me, you know, but also keep expectations high because you need to, you need to keep motivated. You know, if you, if you need, you need to expect a lot from yourself, both as a parent, but also in the, in your career that you're pursuing. And so it's been so hard really the the real tricky thing for me has been to figure out how to keep expectations high enough that I I stay up and and positive and feel like this is going to be good and and I can do this but low enough so that when things aren't really going well and I'm not feeling productive and I'm not getting anything done because of this or that because of the parents you know we're busy um, that I don't get too frustrated because there's so much frustration when you're trying to create in the, in that space with kids running around and bothering you and all that. So, Oh, definitely. Um, and I love know. what you said in your outline about weekends particularly, and, and it sounds like maybe more now the stage of parenting that you're in now. Um, tell us about your weekends and what you finally decided to do with those, with your expectations. Yeah. So originally, uh, weekends were sort of my time. Um, well, you thought they should, you thought they were right. (laughs) I I thought they were my time. They seem like they should be my time for all the struggle I went through during the week to, you know, make lunches and breakfasts and get kids from school and all that. Um, of course my wife felt like it was her time. Um, and you know, understandably so she was commuting a long ways there and back from work and, dealing with all the hassles of, of, and stress of work. Um, but 
she was very kind uh, uh, early on, and I sort of had my weekends to weekends to try and get my work done. Um, but there was just such a push and pull at, with between us and most of our fights, as they are with most, I think, young parents. Um, you know, as to who who gets that time, um, and it was just very very frustrating uh, time because I would be trying to get work done and she'd say okay well I'm going to take the kids out you know for the day and we're going to go apple picking or something and I'd say okay I'm going to get work done and then I'd have this huge chunk of space that was completely foreign to me and I would sort of like putter around the house and mope and miss my kids and my wife and be like okay call them when are you guys going home you know? <laughs> Uh, and basically get nothing done uh, because there was just such an abrupt change of like, you know, a quiet house with nothing. And, and I, I just couldn't, I don't know. I know some people are better uh, equipped to, to just shift gears and be like, okay, quiet house. I'm diving in and I'm getting this done. I think actually Elizabeth, you probably are one to do that better. But, um, but I, I just, I don't know. I, I, it was like, you know, I just found myself like, that sort of uh be careful what you wish for or like you know ben is like the her. ultimate grass is always glee- greener guy uh, yeah i'm just a miserable <laughs> writer miserable, <laughs> miserable writer, writer. you yeah. fit the profile i do, I, do. <laughs> uh, I play it up for elizabeth because she's all bubbly artist <laughs> So ended up basically just giving them up and saying, I am going to, um, you know, basically be present. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to just have uh, weekends with my wife and kids and we're going to just like, I'm just going to do my best to be present for them. Mm. Um, And, and it, it, it made such a big difference. It really did. And I have to say in my creative work, which I consider this podcast creative work, I've never thought of myself as traditionally creative as far as I'm not artistic. I'm, But I am very creative with writing and creating podcasts and things like that. And that's been a shift just in the last few years that I've kind of owned that I'm creative. And I found that with my creative work, it's very helpful when I'm present where I am versus trying to like kind of keep uh, a foot in each land And so like when I'm with my kids, I try to be really present with my kids and own that that is the space and time for them. And then when I have work time, I try to be really present with my work and, and protect both. Um, And it's helped me quite a bit to have more joy in both places instead of always kind of pining for the other thing when I'm doing the other thing. That's huge. It makes you a lousy parent and it makes you a lousy artist Uh, in constant frustration because you're not doing either very well. Yes, which I feel like at, leads really well into the second takeaway um, about carving out a designated space and time for your creativity. So can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So uh, for me, I uh, just to follow in that uh, theme of me being the miserable writer, <laughs> I have not figured that out. <laughs> and I will serve as the cautionary tale for what not to do. Um, and... No, I, I have always had a very difficult time sitting at a desk, upright, mm. in a chair, working. I don't know if it's re- always reminded me of, like, being in school or what, but I just, um, I find that being sort of on a couch with a laptop on my lap 
and a coffee next to me and pillows, you know, propping up various limbs and whatnot is my place to do that. And I, my guess is that if I'm being, if I'm being kind to myself, it's that I need that in order to feel sort of comfortable and low pressure situation where I'm not having, like, it just feels like I might as well just be sitting talking with a friend. Uh, mm. And my writing feels a little more easy and um, less pressured that way. Um, mm -hmm. If I'm being a little harder on myself, it's that I'm lazy and I <laughs> am really, I really like dozing off into nice little naps. He's a kitty cat. He's just a, he's a nice. <laughs> I am. I'm a little fluffy kitty cat. <laughs> So that's your your space. You don't really have a de dedicated office space because that doesn't work for you. That's what you found that you work better in a more relaxed working space. Yeah, exactly. I you know I've tried. I've tried to do it. I've tried to set up a space because I know that's like ninety nine out of a hundred true artists will say like that is what you absolutely have to do. And I and I and maybe someday I'll be able to do it. But yeah. Right now, that's I just I plop down on the couch. I set the kids off to school. I sit down on the couch and I pull out my laptop and I just yeah, that's it. Let it flow. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. So for me though, in term this this takeaway of carving out a physical space, it was I the number one. I cannot stress this enough. Like the absolute game changer for me. So if there's visual artists out there or like crafters or sewers, anyone who has like a physical piece of work that they're generating, as soon as I was able, as in we weren't living in a tiny two bedroom apartment with three kids, which we did for a really long time. As soon as I was able to carve out a physical space in my home as my studio, that completely changed everything for me and for just my family, for the way that I feel like everyone suddenly respected my space and my time because it was a physical space. Mm. Um, and, you know, we live, it, we've made sacrifices to make this happen. We live in the city um, in this little colonial row home. So space is a premium to begin with. Um, but my kids all get smushed into one room and I'm like, sorry, this room is mine. <laughs> and they're totally fine with it because they can see how happy it makes me. And it's really inspiring for them to see their mom kind of inspired. Hmm. Um, and also you don't, you don't, I'm guessing you probably don't make this big deal and apologize for it, which, so they may, they probably don't even know that it could be any other way. It's like, this is how it is. Mom has her workspace and we share a room and we all like work together in our family to make sure everybody's needs are met. I mean, is that what you would say is accurate for your Absolutely. family? And the thing is about being an artist is like, I'd say one other thing is say it out loud. Even if you're not like currently generating work, like me saying I'm an artist. This is who I am. Like, Ben, you're a writer. And, it, and like, your productivity does not say then, or, like, your sales or your whatever does not say now you're an artist. And I think that's been something for us from the start. These kids were born in from a mother that was an artist. And so, like, mm. an, any sort of artist who's not making work is, it's, you're literally in pain. Like, it's a terrible existence. My kids are... It's, it's really been so neat and so powerful, particularly for my daughters, I think, to like mm -hmm. sit and watch me. They don't get as much as my time anymore. And honestly, I think they're kind of happy about it. They're like, thank God we have our space now. Like she can leave <laughs> us alone and stop pestering us. And like, you know, my, my kids, it's, it's, you know, I'll get choked up thinking about it, but they'll like totally sit in my studio late at night 
and just, you know, they know they can't talk in there. They know they can't touch anything in there, but they just, they're watching their mom do what she's supposed to be doing. Like this is, and, and I, these are the hopes I have for them. Yeah. I hope that they will chase their dreams, you know, like it, to sound all cheesy. It's like you absolutely, this is like a real job that you can have and a real thing that you can do. Yeah. But like what you said earlier, you know, just, I think it is critical to schedule that time. Mm. So it's not like I'm, my studio is in our home, but I'm not like popping up, you know, 15 minutes here and there every hour. You know, I'm like, for me, you know, like I said, during the school day, you know, school year, nine to three, those are my work hours. And then usually like, again, like, you know, eight to sometimes way too early in the morning if I'm deep in a project, but like, you know, eight to like 11 o'clock at night. So I'll mm-hmm. get like a full, full work day in. But when they're home, I'm not working. Like mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, like I'm like not in the studio unless like I'm up against some big deadline. Mm-hmm. But in general, um, I think, and, and, you know, during summers it's been challenging, but like, you know, my work hours I would say are cut in half, but I try to, you know, actually schedule the hours and let the kids know. I'm like, these are my scheduled hours. I'm in the studio. I'm working. Don't bother me. And they're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. And my you kids are much more respectful than mine. <laughs> His, his kids are naughty. His kids are like sitting on his head when he's writing and like. Elizabeth has like little house on the prairie kids. Like, they go off and like they go and like whittle and like. That's how well, she's taught mom. them. She's modeled creativity for them, I right? Know. So they're off doing it, and your kids are like, "Dad's just on his computer. What, like, he's not I doing know. anything worthwhile." I know he's probably like playing Minecraft. Yeah, that's his pandemonium. It's like the children are like on the roof or like in the basketball hoop. It's like really scary over there. Yeah. Yeah. Not like yours are like, Mama, I'd like to go pick some beans from the garden. Love me some Laura Ingalls Wilder. And I really appreciate, I love hearing both perspectives here um, and that both ways of doing it are okay and fitting it to what works for your creativity and your flow is what matters and making a rhythm with your family and your kids and but also being honest with yourself and them about how much it matters to you and prioritizing it totally totally and then what is your third takeaway uh so for the third takeaway um and this is this goes against a lot of popular advice and i think what i had grown up really hearing the third takeaway is to, if you can do what you love as your job and I think you know I had always heard like if you if you do what you love if you do what you love professionally it'll kill it for you it'll die and I honestly could not disagree more I've been like a working professional artist now for like three and a half years and it's only made me just fall even more madly in love with it and feel more assured that this is absolutely what I'm supposed to be doing. And like your level of pride in your work gets in, is increased. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when Ben and I started this project, um, I, it's something we had always talked about doing. And we're like, as soon as we have time, we're going to make this children's book together. It's going to be so sick. And so finally, you know, one day I'd sent him this illustration and I was this little girl and she, she was trying on different like animal parts it was a little bit dark when the book started and um I said her name's Edie can you write and he sent me back the the first part of the manuscript and it was brilliant it was so hilarious and amazing and I was like oh my gosh we're doing this let's do this she's coming to life 
Yeah, and it was Ben who Ben who was like, you know, let's finish this manuscript and let's like send it in. And let's see if we can get it published. I was like, why not? Like it was like, can we do that? Mm. You know, for so long, I was like, I don't know if we can do that. We we started out. It it started out in this really pure form. Like we just wanted to make a great piece of art. And then just kind of see what happened. And as soon as we decided to push it into like, let's really, really do this. I like, you know, spent triple the hours I would have on each illustration, like just pouring myself into the details and pouring our, you know, we poured ourselves into all parts of the story, like the meaning, like there's so much meaning behind, you know, let's put the emojis above their heads instead Mm. of like on their faces. And like, what does that symbolize? And, you know, it's just, it turned into this big deep project that we were so proud of because we knew what our goal was let's have this in print and let's let it live like in real life and let's people hold it and I think that's huge like it to it just pushes your work into places it never could have gone it steps up the caliber of the product raises the bar for yourself and in in return like your your returns then are so much bigger you're taking risks it's risky as a creative Mm. person putting your work out there it's I mean it's the whole thing is a risk being an artist is it's terrifying and you're constantly being made vulnerable but the rewards are so huge um so you know submit your work for that you know that open call gallery show or you know walk into a coffee shop and see if they'll show your work like if you're a visual artist just or you know, like what we start up, start the podcast. Start you've been thinking the podcast, about. Do it. Like it's such a game changer. <laughs> well, and knowing that people are going to possibly view your work, see your work, consume it in some way, you know, like it's not just thoughts in your head anymore. You're putting it out there. And like you said, it's scary and there's a lot of risk, but it holds you accountable to your creativity when you have some sort of a, even if it's just a writing group, like it doesn't necessarily need to be a professional level thing but you're holding yourself accountable by allowing other people into your creativity totally and like for ben and i part partnering up was huge you know like partnering choosing to partner up with a writer or partnering up with an artist and say let's let's make this a full thing let's you know collaborate together um Mm -hmm. is really big yeah i i uh, i need collaboration i i i find that have someone else i mean it helps that elizabeth (laughs) is sort of a taskmaster uh but uh (laughs) Um, that's one way to say it. Um, but, uh, but I think that, you know, to have someone who's holding you accountable is very key. And a lot of people spend, you know, a ton of money going to like, as I did and a total waste, as far as I'm concerned, you can maybe cut that out if you want, but $40,000 of, you know, getting an MFA, uh, you know, just to say that I'm a writer. And I think that's why people do it. You know, it's just to say, okay, I put this much money towards it. I put this much time. I can now, I, I now have to say I'm a writer. And it's the same, you know, like going, going forward. Like if you, if you just sort of like put that out there, um, you know, it, it, it's gonna, you, you kind of have to, you, you have to have someone who, who is willing to say to you, you have to get this done. Like you're a writer. You're mm-hmm. an artist. You have to get mm-hmm. this done, um, and and it helped a lot when we got an agent and a you know and a and a publisher who were able to be other taskmasters for, for me, um, and to have guidelines and all that. Um, you know, I've been writing for for twenty years or some fifteen years, and um, 
not a ton to show for it. And um, I think a lot of it is honestly just because there's no one asking for it. Yeah. And I love that we live in a time now where there are so many options for holding yourself accountable, for publishing independently, for for finding a writing group, for finding, you know, you guys did go the more traditional route where you have a big time publisher that published your book. But if people aren't to that level, there are other options and totally. ways to hold yourself totally. accountable and to get your work out into the world now in this day and age that we live in. Oh yeah. So much, so much and more every day. And it's becoming more legitimate every day. And, and I also want to say like, don't be afraid to put yourself out there to like a big agent or a big gallery or whatever. Like, like you are legitimate when you say you are. Mm. And so like, you don't have to like, yeah, maybe baby steps up, but also like go for it. Like just, you know, reach out to the thing that feels like out of reach. You never know. Yeah. And, and what's it going to hurt to, exactly. to try, you exactly. know, and, and to keep trying. I think maybe that first time that big gallery, that big, like, they're not going to look at you twice, but if you keep at it and keep at it and keep at it, they're going to remember your name. They're going to remember your work and you never know what could come from that over totally. time. Totally. I've had a lot of rejection letters a lot. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of hustle. Well, thank you so much for these three takeaways. And I really want to encourage anyone listening to apply it broadly to whatever your passion is. It doesn't have to be the creative, the artistic, you know, this type of art to take these takeaways and apply it to whatever it is that you've been wanting to hold space for in your life. That's important to you. I, I really loved Lizzie when you said that you were in pain when you weren't creating. Um, that struck me because that's how it felt when I was a full-time stay-at-home mom and I didn't have the outlet of my writing teaching. Um, I loved my children deeply and they made me deeply happy, but I'd never thought of it till you said that. But I think that describes, I was in pain because this part of me that I, cr that craved an outlet was stuck inside of me, but I knew I didn't want to go back to teaching full time. And so I had to find a different medium like you described. And I found the medium of podcasting as a way that I could share my, my love for teaching and still be the mother that I wanted to be. And that's going to look really different for everybody. Um, whether you want to be working full time, which is also fine or home full time, which is also fine, but just honoring what's in your heart and recognizing that you can hold space for that thing, whatever it may be. Uh -huh. uh. Yeah. And I will say you're very good at it. Great job. Oh, <laughs> well, I thank you. And you guys are very good at what you do. And I truly believe, I truly want listeners to reach out and find your book. It is beautiful. I love the, uh, when you describe the emojis, they're not going to know what that means till they see it, but it's this mix of traditional artwork um, with emojis woven in, which is so fun. And then this hilarious storyline that Ben wrote. So everybody go find being Edie is hard today. And I am going to show, I'm going to see what I can find from my old journals and scrapbooks and show some pictures of the Halloween costumes that you made for me. <laughs> um, oh, Marge. <laughs> Monty, Monty Python and the Holy Grail is one. Um, Marge Simpson, like you just mentioned, <laughs> you made ever. that for me. So I'm going to find some great samples of your early creative work. And I know everyone's <laughs> going to love that. So thank you both so much for coming on and for sharing these takeaways with us. 
Thanks, Rachel. Thanks for having us. I loved that discussion with my childhood kindred spirit and her business partner, Ben. And if you recognize that Anne of Green Gables reference, (laughs) yes, Lizzie and I were avid fans of Anne. Liz has red hair, so she was Anne and I was Diana, bosom friends forever. Here's my quick recap of Lizzie and Ben's takeaways for holding space for your own creativity as a parent. First, manage your expectations. So think about your hobby or your passion and ask yourself, is there a way that I can still do this, but in a medium or method that's more conducive to family life? And you can always ask your partner to help you brainstorm. Remember, everything is a season and respect the season of parenting you're in, but also respect your true need to carve out time for your creativity. It's possible to do both. So that leads to the second takeaway. Carve out a designated space for your creativity, both a physical space and a time-blocked space. And make sure that it fits you and your unique creative personality. Like Ben talked about how he works much better on a couch than at a desk. Figure out what works best for you. And once you've carved out that space, hold it sacred and believe that your family will only be blessed by seeing you prioritize your creative gifts. And third... Find ways to hold yourself accountable to your creativity, whether that's by doing it as your job or finding an accountability partner or group to consistently check in with or produce for. Having some sort of accountability makes you do it. I love these three strategies and all of the other nuggets of wisdom that were in this conversation. I believe passionately that your creativity, your dreams, and your desires matter so much as a mother just as much as everyone else in the families. And this is a big focus of the work I do with Declutter Your Motherhood. So don't forget to go check out my workshops at 3in30podcast.com forward slash workshops. I want to help you clear out mental space to find more joy in your motherhood. And I know that this workshop can do that. So go check it out. I love you all. I'm rooting for you. And I hope you have a beautiful week with your family.